Welcome to Dungeon Talk. Higher level learning for your tabletop game. And now, here's Evan and Michael. Hey, what's up? This is Evan. And Michael. And this is Dungeon Talk episode 16. On this week's show, we've got our table topics, which are session balance. And then later on in the show, we're going to talk about bringing in a new player to the group, which Michael did as a surprise to our group. It was an interesting surprise where we were getting ready for a game and somebody walked into the basement and I, get, I went to myself, hey, what's, what's he doing here? <laughs> <laughs> and then he sat down at the table and I still went, what's he doing, doing here? here? <laughs> uh, we've got our mailbag and uh, we've got D&D Next News. So to kick off um, this week's table topic, let's talk about session balance. All right. So it's your topic, so kind of lay out what your thoughts were or what your questions my, were. My thoughts about talking about session balance is when you're a DM and you're going into a session, you're thinking, I don't know what you think about, but I'm thinking about what part of the story are we going to get to tonight? Are we going to, is it going to be, are we going to get to this point where um, the story is going to advance enough to where I'm not going to leave them feeling like still feeling like what's going on in the story like you know things are advancing um i'm finding out new clues i'm fine i'm meeting new characters stuff like that so those are the things that make me feel like a story is moving along but and then with that also combat is kind of like a dead spot in the story it's ne- it's necessary. Like that's what I want when I sit down. I want combat. I really enjoy it. But it's also if you have an action movie and the story's going along, and then there's this big fight that lasts five minutes. For five minutes, you're not really learning anything. You know, nothing new is being revealed to you unless it's done really, really well. I can't think of an example in my head. But for that five minutes or ten minutes where there's um, you know, action or something is going on. You're not really learning anything new about the story. You're not meeting anybody new. You're not giving any new, not given any new clues. And so it's kind of like that in D and D, but except combat can take a half an hour or longer depending on what you're doing. So there's kind of that dead spot. So the balance that I always go through is trying to figure out how much, story do we need to go through in order for everybody to feel like this is moving along because that's what I think is going to keep them interested but at the same time I want to put combat in there because that's the exciting part you know what I mean yeah I agree I think my initial thoughts on that is it really does kind of come down to the group that you have and what they find enjoyable there are I'm sure plenty of groups that having a four hour session and three and a half hours of it is nothing but one long, extremely tactical combat, or maybe it's a string like a, like a dungeon crawl where it's just combat after combat, but they're strung together very quickly would be a blast. They would absolutely love that. And assuming that they succeed at the end to overcome all the challenges, 30 minutes of sort of a, the bad guys now defeated and you know, the kind of the, uh, the denouement of the bad guy would be a, a great thing. But when you go to a game, if you come in, if you encounter a bad guy and you go through combat and then you defeat him, then is that your feeling of accomplishment for the night? You feel like you accomplished something? 
Yes and no. Uh, again, I I don't think there's a, a right or wrong answer necessarily. But just back to my back last point, just really quickly. But you could have a group that just really loves role playing, and we've actually had that in our session sometimes where we didn't roll a die all night. There's mm-hmm. a couple sessions where it was just you guys talking to each other in character or talking to the NPCs in character, and those were some of the better nights. Not always, but I, I don't think you know. I don't think anybody walked away going, "Wow, you know." Tonight sucked, that first, but there might be a, I kind of wish we'd had one combat feeling. That first uh, one shot that we did where we got into our characters that we're playing now, that was a really good balance to me. I don't remember exactly how it went, but there was lots and lots of role playing at the beginning where we were just sorting things out, figuring right. out our characters, learning where we were. And then we jumped into the first, First combat was um, in the town at the shops, right? Right. There were only two combat. We played for, I think, about five hours, and there were two combats, and both of them were pretty short combats. So I guess that's, if your combats need to be a little more than just, like during my first session, the town got attacked by some bandits. You didn't feel the need to do anything. I just walked around with a cup of coffee in my hand. mm Mm-hmm. And... If I think maybe if I had set it up in a different way, maybe they came into the bar where you guys were at. Right. Um, I never, I never felt threatened in that combat. Mm-hmm. And by the time, or I, ex, or just excited enough to get involved. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I because I, I don't want you to think like I didn't care about the outcome. But the, but the way, well, that's okay. Your, you can say that, and it doesn't. That's nothing on me. Okay. It, I mean, if your character was in the moment and didn't care, then well, by the time I wanted to get involved, it seemed like it has already been wrapped up. Like I, when I did eventually leave the bar and go out to the street, and I was carrying my cup of coffee, and I was kind of sipping on it, just sort of watching what happened. The way you were describing it is, it sounded like the town pretty much had already, you know, not not that all the bandits were dead or captured or whatever, but they were contained. And at that point, if I have a new set of bandits had rode, written, rode, ridden into town, you know, and they started running straight towards me, then I would have felt threatened. I would have got involved. But I did want to get involved, but I, I wanted to wait. Like, that was kind of like a character choice is that, okay, I'm going to participate, but later. Like it's I, su- it really surprised me because I think of you as, like, this, mis- uh, I, I was going to say mischievous, but a... Um, you're always wanting to figure things out. You're always wanting to kind of listen in to hear what's going on, gather clues. You're kind of the the sleuth, maybe. Sure. And so when that happened, I thought you would be interested in figuring out what was going on. You did, but you just waited to do it after. And so I think if you're going to throw in like you did with that session, that first session, our combat probably only lasted 10 or 15 minutes, probably. which in D&D is probably short. Yeah, and again, this was our first D&D Next playtest. We really didn't even know how fast combat would take. We had been playing 4th edition for a while, and then we switched to 3.5, so I was even surprised at how quickly the battle lasted. In my head, I was excited, and so in my head, that seems like it lasted a lot longer. Yeah, I think it was shorter than that. I, I went back because it's on one of the podcasts. We could go back and listen to it. I think the entire battle was like 20 minutes long. And that included a little bit of role playing in between because there, there was a moment where Omi's character ran away and was chased. And then you gave chase 
and then fought the other bandit that had cornered Omi. So there was like a probably three or four minutes where it was more of us just talking about people moving. I wish every combat was like I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what was is different about that combat in my head, but it's like we weren't. I wasn't looking at my AC, my hit points. I wasn't. I was thinking of what that character would do in the moment, like grabbing the people in the shop and getting them to safety, running across the street and leaving Grexel to fend for himself to go after somebody else. I was just thinking, I I don't know how to get back in. Like what made that so exciting? But But if I knew I would do more of mm -hmm. it. Uh, Now, one thing, because we're getting a little bit off topic, um, but the the last session you missed, and unfortunately just scheduling, we weren't able to, to work it out where you could be there. And that probably had the most combat in that game oh, that so I've pissed. had probably since we started this game. I mean, it was several, you, buddy. <laughs> it was several combats in a row, and they were a lot more deadly combats. As I've said before, the just about every human that you have faced in my game to this point, I've treated them as a minion. They've had less than 10 hit points, even the guardsmen. And I did that for a particular reason. I wanted you guys to feel special and how how deadly you could be now when you've come back after this possible dimensional shift or time travel or whatever now the guards you're facing are a lot closer to to your power level i know that because they almost killed me right they almost killed you in last session almost killed grexel grexel was down to four hit points and and it wasn't like i just overwhelmed him with you know 50 people it's just they're doing a lot more damage they can take a little they're just balanced encounters now a lot more balanced but the reason i had those battles again to get back to kind of the original point was I really wanted to put home that things are different now. I mean, I know there's questions about whether you went in time or what's happened because the city just feels different. There's, there's you know, physical differences in the way the city's laid out, which I did with Omi getting lost in the sewers, which he's never done. It's, that's his, own, his thing. I can travel the sewers and no problem. And then last time he kept getting lost. And I did that on purpose because I want him to know the sewers aren't exactly the same as the last time you were here. And then I had three or four battles in a row because I wanted the PCs to realize, okay, these aren't the people we're used to fighting. There's clearly something different. And so I was using combat to tell a story. And I, and I get what you're saying that often they're separated, but they're not, they don't have to be. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And it may be something that I don't even know if the PCs necessarily caught onto it and thought these guys are deadlier and like it sank in. But my choice of having those battles was to tell you things are different something has changed not it's not just your imagination clearly there's a physical difference in this world than there was last time you were here um so for for me i like combat to tell the story and i know i'll shut up a minute let you go but i'm i don't do random encounters like i just i do not do random encounters i think they're a terrible waste of time if you're doing a combat in my game there's a reason for it and they're off (laughs) (laughs) i thought i had turned that down that's okay um that's all right so again, so if you're doing a combat in my game, there's a specific reason for it, and it's going to tell you something. It may mm-hmm. not be as much of like the bad guy, you know, monologuing like in a comic book, but even if you go back to like Harry Potter, uh, I don't, well, I'm assuming you've watched the movies or maybe read the books. I don't nope. know, but hopefully, these people in this podcast had near the end of the series, you learned that Voldemort, the big main bad guy, had uh, fractured. Spoiler alert: <laughs> had fractured his soul into seven pieces so that he couldn't die. So every time they destroyed one of these pieces, they got closer to the end. So anyways, kind of getting, getting, getting back to that original point, that I don't necessarily sit down each night and go, okay, do I have my battle? Do I have my exploration? Or do I have a role-playing element? 
I try really. So my, what do you think about my, my stories are more again, I try to do organic, which again, is always my new favorite D&D word is I try to figure out where you guys are. I try to do mine fortified where you guys want to be. And then I just figure out what makes the most sense for in the middle. You know, one of the big reasons to have combat is one, a lot of players like it, whether you really enjoy the tactical like fourth edition combat or just the visceral quick combat we do in D&D next. Well, I think that combat is kind of like a step above in role playing because you can we can sit around the table and role play characters. But when you role play combat, it's kind of that now it's that role playing that you're never going to, you know, have in real life. I mean, you can go out in real life and talk in a different voice to somebody and they're never going to know it. You can role play a different person. Just go you to can, a restaurant pretend yeah, they're they're never going to know it, but you can't fight with somebody in a fantasy setting. And that's, I think that's what takes it to the next level and makes right. it so fun. So a lot of players do enjoy combat. So you, you know, if that's what they really want or they just like it enough, then you probably shouldn't go a whole session without one combat, but I still wouldn't just do a random encounter. It's got to have some point to it, whether it's, you know, again, in my game, like a meta thing, like, Hey, this is tougher than it was before. You're getting one step closer to the main bad guy. Maybe uh, another thing that happened in my, in one of the games is you guys now believe that some of these humans in the game have actually been taken over and they're like possessed by demons. Well, and during one of the fights, one of these creatures that we think is a demon blew red smoke out of their mouth into your character's face. You weren't there. And it basically sapped his willpower and made him very susceptible. And they said, go home. And you just left the battle. You just started walking away. Um, so I've also told you that not only are the, is it things tougher here, but now I've told you they have this power that you're now going to have to account for as you continue to fight them later and either try to devise a countermeasure or at least be prepared for it. So I'm still, I'm still telling story while you're having combats, but yeah, just rolling dice and getting good numbers and, mm-hmm. and feeling powerful <laughs> is cool. When I just... When I just put my head down and started walking away, did Grexel go, man, he's really depressed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that was when Grexel almost died, so he's probably really focused on himself. I don't know if he got there. To make a point, and maybe a piece of advice, maybe. We try to give advice in here, but I don't know if it, if, if it ever really is advice. Well, I'm a big on organic storytelling. This is organic advice. Oh. It's just kind of in there. You just take what you want. <laughs> right. You just got to listen, and hopefully there's something yeah. there you like. Uh, like to go back to my first game where there was an encounter, there was lots of storytelling, there was lots of role playing, there was a little bit of like gambling, playing games and stuff like that. And then I just felt like I needed an encounter. So I had the uh, the town attacked and I worked in part of the story into the town being attacked. But like you said, it's felt like more of a random encounter and I wish I would have gone back and thought about more thought more about how can I work the encounter into the story that's already happening instead of just get probably being a little unprepared and letting things in trying to be too organic for me like I you know we'll just see how where this goes we'll take it where it goes that's what I was doing and I didn't see any as the DM you it's a still up to you to put the combat in there. Like you can't just say, we'll just see where this goes because your characters aren't necessarily going to go up to somebody and pick a fight. And that's how combat's going to happen. And if it does, they're probably bored. They probably do something like that because they're bored. Right. They're just trying to get something started because they want to, they want to do something. So 
in your first session with this, when we had combat, it was really satisfying because the combat was part of the story. We learned about the other gangs when the combat combat started. Um, we learned we were learning about what our role was and kind of what I did for Graydon and what kind of what my job was. That's what we were out there doing. So we were still learning all these things through right. the combat. But in mine, you guys were just sitting in a bar drinking beer, playing games, and then the town got attacked, and everybody got up, ran out, left all this money on the table, and started fighting, and you guys were just left there like, huh. Huh, and, this is weird. Yeah, Rob went out and jumped in the fight because he wanted to, but you didn't feel the need to. Right. So it, it, you, need to make, you need to make sure that even if it's a very small combat, it needs to be exciting. And I think the biggest point of making it exciting is what you said, where – Try to make the combat so that you're still telling story through it. And I'm not saying it's necessarily easy. It's just something I've always kind of it's done. It's not. I mean, <laughs> I probably... Like, let's go back to the last game that you guys had with me. Or the game... How about the game when you guys went into the dome? And the well, very first thing was you fought those creatures. Automatons. We'll see. But again, that, that also was a bit of storytelling... Because that was our first experience with those creatures. I and mean, we talked in one of the last podcasts how the the tone and the mood really didn't, we didn't mm-hmm. kind of buy into it. But we learned that within this dome, there are things that we have never experienced before. These creatures, these metal automatons, whether it's, you know, pseudoscience, steampunk, whatever you're kind of going for. Whatever we encountered in that dome was something we had never encountered or even heard of outside. That's true. Yeah. And then as we got deeper and we started learning that this was apparently like a, a you know a, some sort of secret organization and they had uh, you know these plans and it wasn't directly foretold or, or explained, but I got the feeling that okay those things were there to protect these children when they were babies, which for whatever reason didn't work, and maybe we'll figure that out later. So we did still learn stuff even by the battle. Now when it happened, I think two more times it lost a little bit of that effect because we had, we didn't learn anything new does the in combat, those successive battles. Does the combat with that feel completely different than the combat, or th- there wasn't any combat for you, like when the town got attacked by bandits? It, it did feel different because I was in danger, and and that was the that was the key for my character, Kaj, not really wanting to get involved, is one, I, I'm trying to play him more pragmatic. I'm not just going to jump in and fight for the sake of it because I don't want to get hurt or killed. But if there's something in it for me, then I'm a lot more likely to get involved. So, and again, it's always easy to go back. That's why when you write stories, well, that's again, the I point of this writer, podcast is right, to go back and to go see back. what we did. Um, you know, rewriting first draft, second draft, it would have been very easy for me to stand there in the bar because I was the only one in the bar for for a little while, and I was just drinking my coffee and just kind of waiting. Well, if two bandits had walked into that bar. It'd been me against two. That would have all suddenly like, okay, now I'm in trouble. Hmm. Uh, and do I, I do, do I fight or do I run? Uh, when I walked outside, so say we didn't do that. I walked outside and I'm watching. Everything seems to be under control. But now new bandits come into the town, and I see everything's under control. But everyone's busy. I'm the only person that's not fighting. I may have felt obligated to to do something, or or an innocent. That's always simple. If I see an innocent woman or child being dragged away by a horse or being attacked. I'm still playing a bit of a hero. I would have got involved, but there was no, there was nothing that required me to get involved at the time. So I didn't. I think the point I'm trying to make is you don't have to, uh, you don't have to say, okay, 
at an hour in, I'm going to have this happen. Or at right. two hours in, I'm going to have this. Plus, at two hours in, I'm going to have this happen. Or when I get to this point, I'm going to have this happen. So that it, we're talking about balancing a session. So that you don't have to think of it in terms of like a graph or a table where, you know, I'm going to go this long and then I'm going to make sure there's an encounter. Or I'm going to go this long and make sure there's an encounter. Especially when your encounter is part of the story. You're telling part of the story. Your people, are, you're putting them in a little bit of danger to where they're worried. They're going to feel like that encounter was a big uh they really overcame something and give them a sense give them enough to have a sense of accomplishment out of that encounter right and that will really balance out all the the rest of the downtime or the storytelling or the role playing if you have people at your table that are more into that they're going to get a big feeling right. of accomplishment so the, the two points i would make to kind of wrap this up uh for me is i would not start with a battle at least very rarely and again, that's that's a Michael thing. I know that from I've, I've actually read some other advice that that's a good way to start an encounter or a session. Excuse me, like a session it would be almost like a movie where you don't even give me anybody backstory. You you sit down. Here's your character. You're in a fight, and once that fight's over with, then you sort of flash forward, or you flash back. Okay, this is you know this is you. This is how you got into that fight, or this is what happened after that fight, and then you get into role playing. If you have the right kind of a group, that probably makes sense. But for me, I'd rather do it the other way around where you start with role playing and really get a sense of the world. And whether this is the first session ever or just getting back into it, because we play once a week, sometimes we skip. So it might've been two weeks since you guys have played these characters. I want you to get back into those characters before I put a threat out there. Because if you're not really in Zane's head yet, you might react differently to combat than you would when you're when you're really in Zane's mindset. So I like to start with a role play session, do a little bit of a recap. This is where you're at. Let everybody kind of sink into that skin and then put danger in front of you to see how you react to it. And the last thing would be just be with the uh, sort of with the um, exploration, which we really haven't talked a lot about. For me, that's kind of the puzzle. I want to learn your world, whatever story I'm playing in, and I get a lot of enjoyment from that. So. I'm, whether I'm just, you know, opening doors, not knowing what's behind them, trying to decipher some kind of puzzle box thing that you throw at, it, throw at us, that really engages me as a person, as a player. And that's why combat to me is not as important as those others. But I know that I'm sort of an atypical player. I think probably because I'm a DM. As a DM for me, combat's kind of boring. Like I really don't enjoy combat from my side because my guys are pretty much going to lose every time. You know, it's just how much of a of a challenge is it you know how much story can i tell but i expect that my guys are all gonna be dead at the end of the battle so i don't really care much about combat and i think that may be why i'm again i consider myself sort of atypical uh, and then the last one I actually thought of one more uh, this came up about combat other than just telling story kind of the main reasons you'd want to throw combat is again things are getting boring and it does happen if you're looking around the table and people are on their iphones and they're talking to each other and they're looking to see what let like you know like what feet they're going to take next level Probably not a bad idea to throw a combat in. Still wouldn't be random in my world. I would just have a, a maybe move something up that I had planned for later. Uh, the other thing would be just, again, to give them a sense of accomplishment or to take away resources. You know, that's part of D&D is resource management. If they're on their way to fight the big bad guy, every fight along the way is going to drain them so that that battle is harder. And so if you have a combat that causes them to use their healing surges or hit dice, uh, use their magic spells, and you don't allow them to recover, then that battle gets more and more difficult. If they're able to bypass those battles, then they get there a lot stronger. So you can still kind of use it as an element to the story, 
sort of like again in a meta game situation. Mm-hmm. Does that makes sense. That's probably the typical way that like dungeon crawls go is right. You're getting to this big bad guy, but you're kind of weakening them up before they get there. Yep, I and mean, that's why big big bad guys had minions. Is that mm-hmm. by the time the heroes get to them, they want to be able to defeat them. I just thought of this. This is complete on a complete tangent. Have you ever taken a main character or what people thought was a main character, like a main bad guy, and maybe they've you know they've been trying to get to this guy for a long time? And you know how we always talk about <clears throat> it should be you know uh, the more the tougher somebody is, the more hit points they have, and it takes away that kind of one shot kill that in real life sh- should be there, but in D and D it's not. You know you should be able to come up and like stab somebody in the back, and that's a one shot kill, but they have like. 150 hit points sure it doesn't happen have you ever taken a main character like a main bad guy and had just to get an off actor or like a wait what or like a what what? like yeah like they go up to him hit him one time he slumps over dead you're like all right you killed him and then everybody just goes wait 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 a minute i can say that I've, i've never had that happen the closest i've come is one of my favorite things that i like to do if i have an established bad guy particularly someone who's who's pretty tough is I like for that bad guy to show up and ask the PCs for help. And I learned that a long time ago from some writing classes or even it's like in a comic book situation is, you know, the Fantastic Four are always fighting Dr. Doom. Dr. Doom is this crazy bad guy. When Dr. Doom shows up and says, I need help because this guy's going to kill me, that immediately makes that other unknown bad guy crazy powerful. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it's, it instantly gives you all this like, holy crap. You know, mm-hmm. this guy that we've been fighting for months and months and months and suddenly is so scared that this thing is even worse than him. We have to team up with our arch villain. I do like to try to use that in campaigns. If anybody wants any homework, <laughs> <laughs> if you have a game coming up and you have somebody important in the game that you can spare or maybe th- make them think that there's... Okay, we killed this guy, so there now there, there must be somebody else. I want to hear what players' reactions are too. Would you do that as a DM? Like, you know, just because somebody seems important in the game doesn't necessarily mean they have more than twenty hit points, right? So a one shot stab would be possible, you know? No, I, I agree. I think it would be definitely. I, I think that only would really have the effect that you're going for if it's the exception. So, like, if the very first bad guy that they fight, the main bad guy, that you do that to, it'd be like, well, that's kind of weird. But if you've been playing for a while and, you know, it, you're setting it up like a magic trick where you show somebody something over and over and over again, and then when it's different, it makes an impact, That that's, I think, where you get that big bonus, sort of, you get that effect you're going for. I think that with, would wait, be neat. he's dead? Yeah. And then they'd be like... Oh, instantly the conspiracy theories would just come flying out of everybody. He's not the real villain. It must be that guy. Right. I think that'd be a good twist to throw in to get people's minds start going, okay, whatever we thought was going on is not. It must be wrong. We we missed something. So, yeah, I think from kind of toying with your players' uh, thoughts and emotions, that might be an effective uh, effective sort of technique. I like that. I'll put that in my little toolbox for later. Yeah. All right. Let's go on to mailbag. message for you sir all right what's our question this week all right so we have a couple of questions but we're only going to cover one in case we need it the other one later um this is from uh ryan who's uh, we've talked about before he's communicated with us a couple of times uh he's been talking to us on twitter uh, so he did send these questions to the podcast email so he has entered for the swag competition i think we're up to five different people now so we only need 15 more 
So the question for today is... That's a real five people? Yeah, a real five people. <laughs> uh, in my current role-playing game, we are playing a custom system that includes botches on a rolled one, such as critical failures, as well as lucky number rolls that give you a decided advantage on the outcome. Do you think that having the presence of lucky numbers are gimmicky, or do they add something to the game, and are they a sound mechanic? What do you think he means by uh, decided outcome? Okay. So what I took that to mean would be that either each player or each session or maybe even each each encounter, they decide on a lucky number that would be the equivalent of a critical hit, even though it's not a 20. So like maybe my lucky number is 14, and if I'm rolling to attack and I roll a 14, I get this super damage extra if it's a bluff check then i you know i'm automatically succeed spot checks whatever it, it basically there's a, a particular number on the die that does not necessarily coordinate to success or failure within the game mechanics but if i hit that number then i get a, a huge success whether it be damage or whatever i don't know i don't because what i'm relating it to is playing card games and having a wild card kind of i think that's that's kind of what it is and I think it depends on the type of story that you're trying to tell. Where I think my story, and it's D&D and it's stupid and there's aliens and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but I try to t tell it in a very serious kind of way. I want you guys to really care about these characters. And I guess for me, I would not, I would not want to have this sort of extra thing that could sort of overshadow choices that you make. My I first thought is... You, maybe I would do it. Maybe we would play it, and I might think it's cool, and I might like it. But my first thought is that there's a lot of work that goes into balancing all the statistics and numbers and what you can roll with a D4 and a D6 and a D20 and a D12 and where those numbers fit, whether they belong in you know the, the damage category is it going to overpower something else? You know, I'm sure they I'm sure they work on these numbers. They have to take a, f sing a fighter's longsword damage and compare it to 20 different things and then see how it reacts with 20 different things. And, and there's all this stuff. And then what you end up with is a very, um, a very fragile table of, of numbers and dice rolling and things that all fit together. And I kind of feel like if you if you throw that uh, wild number in there, that lucky number, it's kind of like taking a leg from the table that it, it doesn't, I don't know. It could be something really, it could, like I said, it could be something really well, fun, but I just don't know if I like from it. From a player standpoint, I probably would think it's kind of cool. Again, I do play poker. So there's a bit of a gambler in me and, and having this sort of lucky number that means something I'm think might be kind of fun as a DM. I don't like it at all. I just think it would, cause like you said, I'm trying to balance encounters. I want to make them challenging and interesting and I just don't want a random roll to destroy that. And it already happens with critical hits anyways. But I guess my question would be is, do, does the DM's creatures get the same thing? That's was going to be one of my questions. And then, yeah, that was going to be one of my questions. Because most of the games, I mean, just about every encounter that you face in D&D, &D, you're either supposed to win or you're supposed to run away. 
at least the way I do them. I, I never want to just outright kill you, as, as I said before. And, and if I, if I want my, I want the players, you know, I want the characters, sorry. If I want the characters to die, I'll just put something against <laughs> you that, that you can't win against. When I want to kill my when players, I, when I, kill my player, I reach for a Glock 19. <laughs> <laughs> so I set up the encounter to be challenging, but not super deadly. And you can still get bad rolls and it happens. That is part of the game. But I, but that's the, what I'm aiming for. And if I'm throwing in this extra mechanic that now I have multiple things that could cause criticals, because, again, I'm rolling a lot more dice than you guys are, then I think in the long run, the DM would have the advantage. So my guess is that they're not doing that and it's player only. The players already have an advantage. I don't see the necessity of giving them an additional one. But I don't know. Well, one thing I'll, quickly, and then I'll, you know, I'll let you go, is I do listen to another podcast called Crit Juice which is actually pretty funny. All the guys that play in there, the DM is just ridiculously amazing. I'm, I'm already stealing so much of his stuff. Uh, and the players are all like actors or voice actors, so they're really getting the characters. It's really funny, blah, blah, blah. But they do that where if you roll a, a natural one or a natural 20 on attacks, they have like a deck. And basically you get that card. It's like crit, and then you take the card. And whatever it says, you have to do. And most of the time it's like, you know, you did so well, you get a plus two that you can use whenever you want. Or if you critically fail, you take damage. So, and, and they've done things similar to that in, in other editions of D&D. They make it a little bit more funny. But, you know, you could have a crit chart where you roll a natural 20, then you roll on another table, and you have a chance of like, cutting someone's arm off. So you have this sort of spectacular event that happens every time you have a natural 20, where if you roll a natural one, there's the negative consequences. You cut your own foot off. And it, you know, it's just sort of these really crazy specific uh, things that can happen on those natural 20s or natural ones. You've never played with that. So what would you think of doing something like that? Uh, I, that might be, f- gosh, this is hard. Keep in mind the last time we played your game, you rolled seven natural 20s <laughs> in about a seven minute time span. Oh man. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I would like it or not. I mean, I don't miss hero points at all. It's not because I didn't like them. I did like them. But now that I haven't played with them for a while, I don't care. Mm-hmm. It's you know, it's like I never had them to begin with. So I don't miss them at all. So I kind of feel like it's a, it's a placebo effect where you feel like it's something better because, you know, because you're adding to it. You feel like you're putting your own medicine in it. So you feel like it's something better. But... If it wasn't ever there to begin with, you would be just as happy. Gotcha. I probably would agree with you, just for the listeners, in case you don't remember, hero points is a Michael um, house rule that you get. You earn hero points, and you can turn them in, and you get to roll like an additional D6 and add that to your D20 roll. Or now that we started D&D Next, if I do them, it'll basically be advantage. But we haven't been playing with them because we're trying to stick closer to the actual rules for the playtest version. So we're not using them right now in our games. Um, what was his name that sent the it's email? Ryan. Ryan. Yeah. If Ryan, if you're listening, if you'll send another email and be like a little bit more specific about how you guys go about it, we might go back and retouch right. this because I actually do want to go back and retouch this when I have more information about how he does it because I'm interested to see like the way you were describing one of them, I think would be kind of cool where, okay, you roll a natural 20. Now the DM has a D eight 
and a list of one through eight where these effects can happen. Like you're going to roll your damage, but you're also going to get one of these effects. And it's it's standard. It's sta- you've made it standardized because you've written it down. Right. You know, like um, you might cleave. You could cleave into somebody else, even though you don't have cleave on an, on a crit. Right. You know. Um, also, if you roll a natural one, I think that that is kind of. If you go into Google and type crit charts or, or failure charts, I guarantee you'll find dozens of homebrewed one as well mm-hmm. as some that were made. And that's the type of thing that they do. If you roll a natural 20, you, there's a, usually an additional effect that you roll. In some cases, it's just like additional damage. Or it can be, you know, you cut off an arm, cut off a head. It's an instant kill shot. Uh, you know, or you can choose to do things like, you know, you cut to their belt, cut their belt in half, and their pants fall down. So it can be funny stuff, too. Uh but again, it's just one more additional thing to keep up with and to roll that for me as a DM, I don't think adds a lot to the game, but as a player, I might, I, maybe wonder, we could try it once and just see how it goes. I wonder how you're, how you as a DM is, if Ryan, if you're the DM or if Ryan, if you just play in, you know, somebody else's game, how do you enjoy the game by itself? Like, you know, if you're the DM, are you enjoying the game by itself with the players? Or if you're a player in the game, are you enjoying the story? And do you feel like you need extra? Because I, right now I'm enjoying what we're doing to the point where I, I don't want to think about anything extra. I'm really into role-playing. I'm really into this character. And if you said, tonight we're going to try this, you know, we're going to try this um, lucky number on the dice, I'd say, okay, that's fine. But I would kind of go, well, why? Like, why are we throwing extra stuff in? What is, you know, right. I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied with the way things are going. Okay. Well, Ryan, hopefully we've answered your question, though I don't think we have. Nope. So we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll smart as a to be continued. Or anyone else that's listening, if you have been using something like this, shoot us a line, shoot us an email, comment on Twitter, comment I'm whatever, sure and in, let us know what you like about it. Maybe it gives us more perspective. I'm sure everybody has something. Not necessarily something with lucky numbers on the dice, but maybe something like hero points. I'm sure that everybody has something that they do in their game, especially because we're probably trying to be more strict because we're doing playtest. We're doing D&D next. So we're trying to follow those rules more strictly. But if you were playing 3.5 or 4th edition or something, I'm sure that you'd be playing for a long time and then somebody would go, what if we do this? And you go, okay, yeah, sure. We'll try it. Yeah. Right. I'd agree with that. All right, so let's move on. Go ahead to our, our next table topic. D&D Next News. We're going to do Next News next? Wait. Next News next? Next News next. Night News Now. That's a Jimmy, <laughs> that's a Jimmy Fallon Night skit, News Now. Skit. All right. Night news so, now. Uh, so just recently the new packet came out. This is uh, in March 2013. A uh, couple big, in, big changes or big additions. Uh, one, they added in three new classes. So they added in the Druid, the Ranger, and the Paladin. And with the Paladin, you have three options. You can play the Lawful Good Paladin, which is called a Cavalier. You can play uh, the Evil Paladin, which I think they're calling a Blackguard. Or you can play the Neutral, which is called a Warden. And basically, it's sort of like choosing a deity for a cleric. It sort of gives you a little bit more flavor, but the powers are essentially the same. But one of the other things that they added, uh, which we're going to talk a little bit about tonight, is rules for exploration. And this is something that is new to me in this sort of standardized format. As long as I've been playing d I don't recall ever having something this defined. And basically what it's trying to do is to codify parts of the game that usually were not. So like when you go into a combat, it's pretty standard. 
You have an armor class, you have hit points, you have weapons or magic, you roll a d20 and you add your bonuses based off your race and your class and your level or whatever, and it tells you what happens and then there's effect. But when you get outside of combat and it's like, okay, we need to, for example, when you guys traveled to the Stone Fort Tower in my game, it took you three days of game time. And basically it took about as long as me to say that is what it took. Like, okay, you're in the desert for three days. Nothing really happened until that third night when you had your encounter. So within two sentences, you were already two and a half days in the desert. What they're trying to do is to make that a mechanical point of the game where there's a chance for things to happen. So, for example, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Basically, as a DM, you would decide, are, they going to, are you going to do five-minute turns, one-hour turns, or one-day turns? And generally, if you're in like a dungeon environment, that's going to be five-minute turns. If you're in a, a highly hostile location, like the wastelands would have been, you do one hour. Or if you're doing something like broad, open countryside where there's you know relative safety, you would do one-day turns. Then you ask each of the players what they're going to do, and they have specific options. One person can be the scout. One can be the navigator. One can be looking out for traps or for ambushes. Uh, you know, you can just rest. Like if you're really injured, you can just choose to rest. Everybody rolls their rolls right then. So the person that's on spot or on lookout has a 12, and I just kind of keep up with that. The person that's navigating gets a 15 and whatever else. And then I compare that to what the possibilities of bad things happening. Okay, so there is an ambush, but the people hid with an 18. So the guy who spotted with a 12 misses it, you get ambushed. Uh, the navigator rolled a 15 so you don't get lost and you get you get closer to your goal rather than getting far away. And then there's also a chance for random encounters. As we said before, I'm not a big fan of random encounters, but I guess it kind of makes sense in this regard where it's based on how fast you're going because you can set a pace like we're going to run and then, okay, you're running through a danger situation so your chances of something bad happening go up or you can move really cautiously your speed goes down, but your likelihood of finding secret doors, finding traps, or not being ambushed go down. And again, it's just sort of a, a rules codified way of dealing with non-combat situations, but still making it a mechanical process within the game. So it's not just DM's fiat to say, okay, you spend three days walking in the woods, and now you find the druid circle of trees, you know, and, and then you just kind of skip all that and get into the exciting stuff. As from a veteran DM, you probably have your own way of doing things, ways that things that you've been doing for a long time. And if you've been playing with a group, that maybe a group likes that. So you might just stick to the way you do things. But as a new DM, I, I kind of like it. I like that there is a structure to a part of the game that I never had any structure with before. Right. Um, my, whenever you guys would travel or explore or do anything like that, I would just say, uh, you know, okay, you guys make it through today. And then I would only do, like, combat. Like, combat only came at nighttime based on whether or not you had a watch and how well you kept a lookout. That was the only thing that happened with traveling in my games because I really didn't know what else to do. But just let, hearing you read that gave me more ideas of things to do just by keeping with the structure of having a navigator. I never thought about that before. Having you, you have a na you can have a navigator for a party. So one person is in charge of like leading. He's you know in the front. You know as you're walking. I think of it in terms of like kind of like a squad on patrol. 
you kind of everybody's just kind of walking staggered apart and everybody's kind of keeping watch but the guy in the front is the point man and he's um kind of you know he's navigating uh and then what what was the other you have a, a navigator right you could have someone who navigates uh you could have someone that's basically like um like on watch looking for particular possible ambushes if you're in like a dungeon you could look for traps or look for secret doors i think you can rest if you're injured uh, so that person who is spotting doesn't necessarily have to say, you know, I'm I want to I'm looking at the hills to see if I see anything. And if there's something there in the hills, he, uh, you as a DM would just say, okay, give me a spot check. When you get you get to you're at this point now, you describe the setting. You say, give me a spot check to the guy who's spotting. Right. Do you ask everybody else or just the just, just, the, just the person who's spotting that. So like, they give exploration tasks. These are the standards that you could do of your own. But you have keeping watch, navigating, map making, searching, or sneaking. So those are the ones that they, they sort of most often you're going to be doing one of those mm-hmm. things. And whoever is in charge of navigating is primarily the one that's going to navigate. Now, you could have somebody that doesn't have a job. Or like, okay, well, I'll help navigate. And I'm sure you would still have that sort of, if I roll high enough, you get a bonus on your roll type of a thing. I kind of like all of it, except for the navigating. The navigating thing, I'm kind of thinking like, well, what if you just have a bad navigator? So what? So that your story ends there? You never <laughs> get to where you're going? <laughs> they go into the Neverland Forest and never come out again. Yeah, you lead them into an ambush. and Well, it, know, it depends on, again, if, are you doing five-minute turns, hour turns, or one-day turns? So at most, they're going to get off track by that much. So if you have a really bad navigator, they do a terrible roll, and you're doing hour turns, after about an hour, they're going to be, go, okay, I'm I'm lost, and then you can refocus. So it's not like they would just turn left and then never be seen or heard from again. Okay, but yeah. it would add additional complications. So here are my first two thoughts. I agree with you completely. If you're a new DM, this probably is a very good addition to the game. As an experienced DM, I generally try to fast forward to the stuff that I think is boring. You know, again, you're walking through a forest, traveling. traveling, you're walking through a forest and I know that there's not, you know, there's a chance that there's goblins or gnolls or orcs and maybe I'll throw a random encounter. But for the most part, I just want you to get to the next part of the story where you meet the druid in the circle or you get to the abandoned tower. But what I do like about that as an experienced DM is it would help make your world more real. Because I think in my games, it I try to create this world that's happening around you. If you guys decide to go hide out for a week and come back out, things are going to be different. I'm not going to just say like like a video game where until you go through the next door, the next part of the story happens. But in traveling, that is exactly what happens because I basically the game stops until you get to the next point. So sort of that realism drops away because I'm skipping over the boring part. So I kind of like the idea of, well, it could just be a random patrol of orcs or you could get lost or... You know, things that just could realistically happen in those situations make the world seem more real. Except that in those random encounters, it just makes me so weary. It's like, what if you have somebody die in a random encounter? What was the point of that? Right. It re- Well, I guess in this in this real situation, it's not truly random because someone messed up. You know, your navigator got you lost or your uh, watch person didn't see it. So it's not like it's truly just random where you roll, you know, bad roll. Other people, and that could be a story moment where the guy who was on watch doesn't take it seriously, you know, as a role-playing element. Somebody gets somebody killed, and now he's super uber on watch guy, and he's paranoid about it, you know. Super. Who are you? I'm super uber on watch guy. (laughs) I'm super uber on watch guy. (laughs) So I I do kind of like it, and it's something that I'm going to add into our game 
again because it's part of the rules and i want to see how they i work. like it i'm interested to see how they how they work so maybe the next time or maybe the time after that i'll give a recap on how i think they actually played in the game uh but that's pretty interesting so i wanted to cover that in the instead of some of the new classes okay but we'll get to them next time yeah all right let's go on to our next table topic all right bringing so, in a new player bringing in a player so some background here as we've said before my group has evolved quite a lot since it started. I, I started the fourth edition game. When fourth edition came out, I got on meetup.com and found some local people and, and kind of got my group started. And then people have come and people have gone. Well, one of the people that was playing with us previously named Travis, he was in the military reserves, I believe, and he got called back to go to Afghanistan. And so he was gone for a year. And I told him, it's like, you're welcome back at my table anytime. So he calls me out of the blue like about a month ago or maybe less. like, hey, I'm back. Didn't die in Afghanistan. Go you. You know, can I come back and play? I'm like, sure. You know, I said you could always come play. You're welcome at my table. But here's the thing. We're playing a different game. We're not playing. I think I think when he left, we were playing fourth edition. Different group. I think Nico is the only person that was in both groups. You had met him playing Magic, so you knew who he was, but you'd never mm-hmm. played D&D with him. So we're playing D&D next, and we're recording them. So you have to be down with all that. Um, but it worked out really well for me in the fact, as we talked about one of the last podcasts, I, when I came off my, my surgery, I had that first session back where I skipped two really big things that were supposed to happen and they didn't. And him coming in was just like, great. Okay, he, he gave me a way to solve all of the problems I had created for myself as well as helping tell part of the story. So. I couldn't have created an NPC any better that fit all of those pieces. So I really liked it. You as a player, I don't think quite are as, as on board as that. So let's talk about what you think. Well, it's just, it's a really simple, short answer, which is um, Omi, Grexel, and Zane are the three amigos to me. There's... There's not two amigos, and there's not four <laughs> amigos. There's the three amigos, and uh, Greg. Or so now talking about it from a player standpoint. Um, uh, Nico drives me nuts, but I wouldn't want anybody else at the table. It's it's kind of weird. Like he's playing his character. I think he's playing his character. <laughs> well, we're gonna find out. Soon. I don't know. I think he's playing his character, but it drives me nuts. But I don't, but thinking about playing the next game, like I don't want anybody other than Nico there. Like I, it's really weird. It's, it's like, it's that kind of brother feeling where, um, you know, you annoy the hell out of me, but you're my brother and I'm going to do anything for you. And that's how I feel in game as well as out of game. Like I like Nico a lot, except that he annoys the hell out of me. Um, (laughs) Not to, not at an out of game, not in an out of game. I'm talking about in game. Um, His character playing annoys the hell out of me. And it's hard, like, because I get annoyed as Evan, not just as Zane, but like I said, I wouldn't want anybody else there. So I have that feeling with the three of us. And if somebody else walked into the town with a red sash on and a black suit and a sombrero with silver trims and was like, I'm the fourth amigo, I would, I would go, 
No, you're not. <laughs> We're the, the three amigos. He's infamous. Yeah. If you're so, so famous, you become infamous. I, it's probably a much simpler answer than you expected, but it's kind of like there could be if we were starting a new game and you were like, hey, I got a buddy that wants to play in this one. I, I probably wouldn't even be like, OK, like you didn't. That's I mean, I would it would be nice that you asked, but right. I kind I didn't like that you didn't ask us if you could bring a new player into the game because it's your story. But I kind of feel like the game is about the players. The game's not about the DM. If the players are having fun, the game is fun. Right. Um, I feel like the game is about the players. And I feel like you should you should ask. You should check. And But I understand exactly what you were doing um, because it was going to be a surprise. And you were surprised introducing this right. new Right. I NPC. was kind of metagaming. Is that because I knew for about a week and a half that he was going to come to that game. And I have an email back and forth. And we got his character set up, and I knew all the stuff that his character would have known so that when you guys interacted with him, he didn't have to look at me and go, do I know that? He could just answer it. As I said, you know, he basically became the perfect way for me to answer and fix a bunch of problems that I created. But I purposefully did not tell you mm-hmm. that he was coming because I wanted you as players to have this, who is this guy, at the same time that your characters were going who is this guy? Right. Um, looking back on it, probably wasn't the right way to go. But I still, I mean, there was a method to the madness. It didn't ruin anything. It just was kind of, It there was just that moment where I went, what the hell? Well, What's he doing here? It's kind of funny, going back to the whole Wang situation. When we, when we were playing before, when we were playing 3.5, Jared was a part of the group. Jared was not able to attend the one-day D&D Next playtest that we originally did because, uh, again, we talked before, but originally this D&D Next game we're playing was designed as a one-shot playtest, and then we were just going to move back to our game. But everybody liked it so much, we decided to keep playing it. So even though he was already part of the group before that playtest, the fact that he did not participate in that first session, he never fit back in the group. Like when we when he came back that next game and he brought in his character, he never really fit. Not Jared as the person or... Uh, Wang as the character never really gelled with you guys to the point that, and it's not, that's not why he left. He left for some reasons in his life. He quit gaming altogether for a little while, but as soon as he left, you took the opportunity to kill his character because his character. I didn't take the, uh, it's not like he left and I went, now I can kill him. It kind of happened that way because his character and I mean, his name, his character never fit into the group. And now maybe it was an unfair situation. I don't know. But clearly he was not part of the group. Like you said, he was outside. Yeah, if he had been, if it had been Grexel and Nico stopped playing, I would not have been like, I kill him. I would have ran over to him and been like, please, you no, please don't leave. You can't, you know, right. you can't we, go we do you. this. Yeah, right. where, yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's a good indication that you, at that moment, I never felt like he was really part of the part group. Part of the group. Because I didn't hesitate on on killing his character it, and it does mean something it does mean something because you know it's not just i get it, it actually means something pretty big because it shows that they're not it's not just characters they kind of mean they do kind of mean something to us because like i said if it would have been grexel or omi and even though i had a reason to kill him 
and one of them weren't there playing the character anymore, I still wouldn't have killed him. I still wouldn't have because it would have been Grexel or Omi. And I don't feel like that about... I'm probably never going to feel like that about a new player. And it's fine that that person is at the table. It just doesn't take anything away from the game. Except I like the three amigos. I like the just, like, we started this together. We'll finish this together. I kind of have that feeling about, like, what's going on. Like, our little brotherhood of our characters so but so i want to speak a little bit about how i actually did bring him into the game and then i think we got to kind of got to wrap things up but it's pretty traditional in D D. like if a, if a player's character dies they get brought back in next time and it's it's whatever's most convenient they're found as a prisoner they're you know they're the cousin of somebody else so you just sort of accept them and you move on you don't want to take a whole session of this sort of role-playing feeling out who are you do i trust you type situation you just bring them in they're gone in this case, it was different because I was bringing in a brand new player that had not played this game before and wanted to add in a character. Uh, so again, for me, it worked out really, really well. Uh, so what had happened is early in your background, you had decided that Zane, one of his very first jobs for the Crimson Claw Crime Syndicate was to assassinate this guy. But you were brand new into this. You were, you were still new and you basically weren't hardened enough and you couldn't do it. You went to kill this guy and you just couldn't. So instead of killing him, you got him out of town and set him up in the wastelands so that they could be safe. And it was his daughter, which is about your age, and there's a bit of a romantic interest. And and it had not been touched since then. And we've been playing, you know, for several months now. And that was always just something that was in the background. So once you guys got out into the wastelands, you decided to go visit them just and I'm sure just to see her, make sure they're okay. It kind of fit the game that you needed a place to kind of lay low for a little while. And it just worked out perfectly. But when you got there... In-game, I was actually thinking, uh, going there to ask about my dad. But um, I found a little bit out about my dad from the elves in the tower. But then I still wanted to go there and just ask them if they knew anything about him. That was the biggest thing. And I was thinking I wanted to see him. So when you got there, they told you that they had found this elf in the desert, like sunburned to hell and back. But it, it didn't look like the elves that you've always known, which again are more of like a Native American Indian tribe. This was like elves, traditional D&D, you know, light skin, fair hair, uh, more uh, feminine features, I guess, and was just sunburned like crazy. And he also had a collar on that was made up of all these crystals that looked just like the crystals in the key that was destroyed and bringing the tower back. And in talking to him, you basically found out he was from your past. He was from over a thousand, right around a thousand years ago when these Gist people showed up. He was around. He was captured and made it to a slave. And he jumped through that purple beam of light that you guys were trying to figure out what it was. And he just was in the desert. And he didn't know what happened, but you figured out that he basically went into the future into the same place. But now it wasn't the same place because it's a desert. He's not adaptable to that and then wandered the desert for a couple days, passed out, and they found him. So he was able to fill in story elements just by him showing up, because now you know that that is a time portal that's in the top of the tower. Uh, He was able to tell you more about the gifts, which are some things that you need to know. Uh, He also, I wrote into his background, he's a a ranger, which in the new D&D Next, they start off with magical abilities. He was able to read magic writing, which goes back way back into the game where we found those symbols on the bodies of those young women that were murdered. And he explained that that was a, a spell to bring demons into this world, which then you then later learned that the demons were 
possessing people. So his character showing up was able to just answer and fill in all these questions that had you went through the portal as I had expected would have been answered in the past by yourselves. Like you would have went into the past and been, you know, it'd take a little while for you to figure things out, but you would have seen things that when you went back to the future would be like, oh, okay, I understand now this is what happened. So his character was able to fix all the things that I did wrong by not having you guys go through the portal. Would you not have felt like you could do that with an NPC that wasn't, you know, just an NPC? I don't think I thought about it. Like I was still trying to figure out how I was going to answer all that. So you, when he came and said, can I play? You probably first thought, okay, what can I do with this character? Right. I was like, how can I bring him in? And then you started thinking. Yeah. And it just like, I started wor- working back. It's like, oh, that's perfect. Cause he, he wanted to play a ranger anyways. <clears throat> that was what he wanted to play. And I was like, okay, well, if he's a ranger, maybe he's from the woods. Ooh. You know, it's like, okay, he's an, I mean, it just, all these pieces just fit together so perfectly. Again, within a couple minutes, I had this plan. I had to detail it out, but it just, it was like, again, like an epiphany that if I had created my own NPC, I don't know that I would have done it that way. I like to think that I would have, but I just, I wasn't thinking I need to add in this NPC and that will fix the problems. But when he said he wanted to bring in his, his PC, it just, it made sense. So I'm very happy with the way his character has been introduced and the problems he solved but that still doesn't mean he's gelled necessarily with the group. Um, and I think that's something we're just going to have to, over time, hopefully he can continue to show his worth then and make it into the four amigos. Mm-hmm. But we'll have to wait and see. I it's I feel like it's kind of like having three brothers and then um, it's the, the dad remarries. It's the, the boyfriend of your sister. And it's the stepbrother <laughs> now. Yeah. It's He's the stepbrother and he's not really – like it's always like, you're not – you're not even in this family. You're not really in this yeah. family. Yeah. You guys are all laughing about some inside joke, and he's just laughing too. And you're like, you don't know what we're laughing Shut about. Up. Yeah. Shut up. You weren't there. You weren't there. You don't yeah. know. So I don't know. I mean, I guess it's difficult. And it was so far along into the story that I didn't want to just like retcon, like we talked about one of the times before, and say, oh no, he's been here the whole time. Mm-hmm. That just didn't make sense. It, it it worked out very well for me as a storyteller to bring him in fix some problems, answer some questions, bring a new dimension to the game. So we'll see how it goes. Now, you did miss last time, so I'll just mention this quickly. One of your biggest frustrations in the game, both as Zane and as Evan, has been Nico playing Grexel. Mm -hmm. Because Grexel is a dumb killing machine. And even though you knew this as Evan for a while, in character, he finally came out and said... Okay, I'm not really dumb. I've been playing this way for a specific reason. I've, I'm in this How spot. did he do it, by the way? Well, it was when you guys were walking in the sewers after you had had a, already had a couple fights. And, and he basically was just trying to figure out what was going on. And, and he started talking. And Rob, his Omi, said, wait, wait, wait. I have never heard Grexel put together a sentence that made sense like that. And then he's like... Okay, I got something to tell you. And it, it sort of happened. It was actually a good moment. It's That is a good moment because in the game before that that I was in, there was a moment where I said, where Grexel said something. And you're and like, I, I agree like, with you. And I game. agree with you, but that's never happened before. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. So it did kind of work out. And then he got to put his, you know, his sleuth hat on and he was putting together clues. And it made a lot of sense. And then in particular, when he met Alicia, who he thought was also part of the silent sisters. So his background is he's this mutant, but he was really smart. And they found him when he was a kid and basically brought him up and protected him. And that's why he owes them his, his loyalty. And so he was sent as a spy 
not on you, but on Graydon, but you were sort of Graydon's closest confidant at the time, so he attached himself to you. And Alicia was this dancer at the club that was his contact, so he would tell her what he found out, and she would tell the Silent Sisters. Well, come to, come to find out, she was actually Graydon's daughter and was a double agent against the Silent Sisters this whole time. But they still did actually like each other. They, they grew to love each other. Uh, and again, it's very melodramatic, but in the game you learn that she's now pregnant, but they don't know if it's Omi's or Grexel's because she was sleeping with Omi to keep up appearances that she was just yeah. uh, a dancer. You went from very D&D to very Days of Our Lives. Days of Our Lives. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see how it goes. Yeah. All, all right. right. Cool enough. Well, um, I think that's about all we got time for tonight. Yeah, that'll wrap it up. This has been Evan. And Michael. And we'll see you next time. You can give us feedback and comments at our website, dndacademy.com. You can check out previous podcasts at our website and subscribe to future ones on iTunes. If you have a suggestion for a topic, we'd love to hear it. Email your ideas to podcast at dndacademy.com, and you can connect with us on Twitter at dnd underscore academy. As always, thanks for listening, and remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. <laughs>